Oh, hey, girl. It's Tess Rouse and Christina Beattie. We're the co-hosts and creators of Authentically Wild. A podcast that may literally transform your understanding about life, relationships, and your healing journey. So get ready, girl. Shit's about to get wild. Today's episode is the sequel of a series that we started a while ago with part one on tools for your journey. So this is now part two, which is going to focus on practices for your journey. And we're going to change up the framework a little bit here where rather than our typical recipe for a podcast, we're going to walk you guys through a day in the life. So a day in the life of Christina, incorporating those tools and practices and a day in the life of myself, Tess, incorporating those tools and practices. And we hope that the pieces that speak to you, you can pick up that will help you and aid you on your healing journey. Hello. Hi, 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 ha, 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 hi. <laughs> I think you were maybe like a singer in the last life. <laughs> I mean, I would not be surprised. So funny. It brings me joy. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel like we've been waiting to do this sequel for a long time. We've just had so many other episode ideas pop up. Yeah. And I'm glad that we waited because, I don't know, it, it, it just feels like, I mean, things change as well. And, and we're constantly kind of putting new things into the toolbox, so to speak. But I'd like that there's been some space and who knows, maybe this means there'll be more parts in the future that we will add in as we go. Yes. I think before we jump in, we need to give a moment to our workshop that we just had. You read my mind. I was going to bring this up too. Yes. I had at the top success of conversations with her. Right. So for anyone listening that maybe is like, what are you guys talking about? Christina and I, I guess that was, was it two weekends ago now? March 4th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We hosted our first in-person workshop conversations with her, which uh, focused on like a deep dive, almost live podcast discussion, uh, had some somatic integration, some readings, as well as a really uh, in-depth breathwork session for our participants. And I think it was beyond our expectations as well as everyone that came. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, number one, just so nice to do something like that in person. I think there's something to be said about just being in the energy of all those, like of all the participants. And it was, it was magical. It was truly magical. And I, I don't think I can talk enough about how much joy and fulfillment it brought me to be able to help support the women while you were running that breathwork session. Mm -hmm. It was something I've never experienced because typically I support clients you know through zoom or doing the readings and but to be able to like in a physical way you know support these women it was probably top five in terms of most meaningful experiences I've had it was it was pretty amazing well that is a statement (laughs) so I'm sure for anyone listening you could imagine if Christina was just holding women what they what they felt and uh and I think it was really cool because you know, a lot of people, and, and just so everyone knows, a lot of the people who came weren't, you know, like people who did meditation all the time or breathwork. Maybe they, a lot of them, I think, had really kind of just started their sort of journey of self awareness and personal development. And, you know, there's definitely some that were farther along, but I just think it was pretty cool to see people, one, just 
sort of come and be open to that. But then, you know, there was also some people who were like, I don't really think this is going to work for me. You know, like, we'll see what I get from it. And, you know, I think just with everything leading up to the breath work, like all the discussion we had, just getting together in person, like, like you had mentioned, people were just, yeah, open and like so much emotion. And you could just tell maybe for some people it was the first time like they were able to open up to anybody like that. And then to be held by someone like you, like, right, just how, how impactful that was. It was just like, the most fulfilling thing, I think, you know, one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done as well. Yeah. And, and kudos to you. That was your first group facilitated breathwork experience and you did not disappoint. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. So, so if you're listening to this and you're like, what, I want to do that. If you're local to where Tess and I are, we, we are both just outside of Vancouver, BC, be ready because we're going to do another one. All right. Well, let's dive into this. So for anyone, you know, I think before we kind of jump into a life in the day of Christina, I think the reason why this is so important is because like how you structure your day and especially your mornings and all of that is just so integral, I think, to how how your day goes. You know, do you have your mindset right? Is your body feeling good, healthy? Especially, I think now too, with with co- with COVID happening and a lot of people working from home a lot more, your days can feel a bit more malleable. And if I think if you don't have any sort of structure or goals, like as to like what you're gonna do, or what are your must-haves to do, sometimes the day can just get away on you. Especially if you have kids, I feel like any any parent listening can be like, oh yeah. <laughs> By the time you look at the clock, it's like wow, it's two o'clock already. And so I think this will just be really helpful. And it's not to say that you have to structure your day exactly like Christina or exactly like me like listen to what sounds you know like you get maybe get a little ping for and and try it see if you can yeah. integrate it into your life and also know that a lot of these practices have taken a long time to implement it's not like you just wake up one day and you're like every single day I'm gonna get my workout in habits take two weeks to form and so, you know, maybe commit to one thing and then continue stacking on top of it. Don't just be like, I'm transforming my entire day mm, yeah. <laughs> and think by Friday it's going to happen. Yeah. And and I will say too, before we dive in, if you're listening to this and you're like, what, there was another episode on this. If you go back to episode five, we actually go in depth on some of the different tools that we have picked up along the way. So that's a really nice compliment to what this episode will be. Doesn't matter if you listen before or after, but if you're interested in more of that, I would say head back to that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Tell us, Christina, how would an average day in Christina's life? Average day. (laughs) Yeah. Average, not to sound not to sound bad either. Like average, like there's no major hiccups going on. So tell me when so tell me when I have an average day. (laughs) There's, (laughs) There's always hiccups. You know, and I will say too, for anyone who doesn't know, it sometimes feels like I I live two lives because I do have the kids. I'm in a sense, a single mom, um, Saturday to Wednesday. And then the kids go to school Wednesdays and then they're with their dads until Saturday again. And so my life does look a little bit different on the days that I have them versus the days that I don't. But, uh, so, so in saying that mine might look a little bit different in terms of how I've split it up versus 
how Tess has, but what I try to focus on are the things that I, you know, the must haves that I really try to make sure I'm doing every day, whether I have the kids or whether I don't. And then I also have some things that they're bonuses if I can fit them in every day. Mm. So in terms of my musts, I want to say too, that I've started to create a really big shift within myself of slowing down and taking the time to listen to what I truly need. So this isn't to say I don't have a plan for myself on days and like, here are the things that I want to do. And here are the things that um, I would like to get done. But, you know, when it comes to something like exercise, I'll really slow down and be like, okay, but what feels good to me versus this is what I have to do, you know? And so, so I, I wanted to say that first, like that shift in me is very much sort of a thread in all of my days of like, here are the things I want to do, but really tapping into now with that thing, what feels really good for me. It's almost like I have different choices for each thing and I tap into what choice feels right. So an example of this would be with meditation. So meditation is a must have for me every day. I try to start my days off with meditation. This isn't always easy with the kids. Um, and so when I do have the kids, I'll, I'll try to fit it in at some point later in the day, whether it's afternoon or definitely the evening. Sometimes I'm doing a couple meditations a day. And for some people that might sound like a lot, but for me, I've been doing it now for five plus years. So this has become a practice that I've really found my groove with. I've really found what works for me. Um, and I really enjoy it. So that's the other piece. It's like, what do you enjoy? I make sure that I'm filling my day with the things that I really enjoy. And when it comes to meditation, this can look different. So, you know, how I said, I'll tap into what feels good for me. So I have different choices in terms of meditations I might do. Some days this might look like going into my records, my Akashic records, and really meditating on, on what wants to come through or what I need guidance on. Other times this will look like um, a day where I want to do some reprogramming, uh, like a Joe Dispenza meditation, um, where I want to uh, tap into something that I, I want to kind of work through or, or um, I guess in a sense, yeah, reprogram in my mind or get to a different place with. So it's more of like an active meditation. Um, and then most days I like to do an unguided meditation. And this is where I listen to sounds like wind chimes or the ocean. Now, the other piece that I want to say about the meditation is that there's like this big myth that we're not supposed to have thoughts. And for me, this has been like learning this piece has been almost the exact opposite process. I actually started doing guided meditations. And so I was thinking through the whole thing and it was very much guiding me kind of through those thoughts. And I would really highly recommend this piece for anybody who is starting meditating because Otherwise, if you just sit there and expect, your, expect yourself to have no thoughts and you're just starting this, I feel like you're going to have a lot of resistance around that. Yeah. What would you say for like, I, I think a lot of listeners would think that, well, meditation, it feels like this kind of like have to do thing. Like, what would you say in a nutshell, at a high level, like what do you get out of meditation? So you talked about the reprogramming, but in terms of like the non-guided, like what does that set you up for in your day? Do you feel like what, why is it a must have? I think a hundred percent, it's about your awareness of yourself um, because meditation, no matter what form you're doing, it's giving you the opportunity 
to number one, kind of like ground in, ground into your body, ground into maybe your thoughts or your energy, but then in a sense, detach from it. So you can see it, right? Like meditation is all about cultivating self-awareness. Um, because when you can create this self-awareness, so some people will say, well, I have thoughts nonstop when I'm meditating. And I'm like, that's okay. It's actually not the thoughts you're trying to get rid of. It's becoming aware of the thoughts that you're trying to practice because then that practice carries over into your day, which is what we want. We want to start to become aware of our thoughts, our behaviors, our patterns, the things we're saying, right? Because with that awareness, then you can create change. Then you can heal or whatever it is that you're working on. And I think what you're almost trying to say there as well is we don't want to just be on autopilot all day long, like I'm letting our thoughts dictate our behaviors and our patterns like kind of when you're you know you drive home sometimes you're like I don't even really remember driving because it's just habitual so meditation allows you to create this sort of like detached third person view of your thoughts and then the more you practice that the more you'll notice it during the day you'll be like why am I getting so irate right now at my boss or whatever it is you're like okay whoa so it basically cultivates that practice, which I could see why that would be essential for your day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so many people are like, I, I don't want to do it. It makes me think all the time, blah, blah. And I'm like, but if you're becoming aware of your thinking the whole time in that meditation, that's actually the point. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, ideally you want to be able to get to a place where you're not thinking the whole time and, and you're just kind of more aware of your body and your energy and, but if you can't, that's okay. This is, it's a practice. It doesn't be, have to be something that you're perfect at, you know? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, so meditation is a must have, uh, another piece. And this one was really interesting. You'd be very proud of me with this. So I, and this one sounds maybe a bit basic, but for me, cold, fresh air, cold specifically, but fresh air I love as well. Very important for me. And I notice, you know, whether I am taking a cold shower, whether I am walking in the cold, whether I'm driving with the windows down, whatever that is, it does something for my nervous system that allows me to feel calm, allows me to feel, yeah, it's just like a a decompression. And I always knew with cold showers why that worked because I've been doing them for a while and I've always been very interested in the science behind them. But when I actually looked into cold, fresh air, I was really surprised that it's essentially tied to the same thing. Um, Mm. The the vagus nerve, which I've heard you talk a lot about with the breathwork piece, right? Um, So this is the main nerve in charge of relaxing the body after it's under stress. The cold exposure causes a shift in your parasympathetic nervous system, which is controlled by the the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's a cold shower, whether it's cold, fresh air, um, it's doing the same thing. And so it makes so much sense to me why now I gravitate towards it. And interestingly, this is something I've noticed with Max as well, is that when he is having... Um, like let's say he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed or he's having a really hard morning when we get in the car to go to school and this isn't something I've told him to do I've noticed he does this automatically he undoes the window and puts his head out the window and closes his eyes and we drive like that Mm -hmm. for five minutes and I can see his body his system literally decompress And and I never realized that it was all connected 
I think a lot of parents could probably relate to that, you know, when your kids are all flying off the walls, like, we just got to get outside. And you think it's because, oh, they're, they're playing. And yeah, there's obviously, they're physically moving their body, which is probably something we'll talk about today too. But probably a lot of it also has to do with the fresh air piece, right? Yeah. 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 That's, I was like, where are you going with this? Like, yeah, like, I'm not, a, like, I've never really talked about fresh air, but I get it. You're talking about the fact that you researched it. I was like... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm proud should, of you. <laughs> I should have said that because I, when I was writing out my notes and stuff, I was like, "Oh, this this seems interesting. I'm gonna look into this." And I'm like, "Tess would be so proud of me." <laughs> I was because right away I was like, "Oh, I wonder how, why why this works." <laughs> I'm so glad you had the answer because it would have bothered me the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I researched it. So yeah, the, the vagus nerve. By the way, for anyone wondering, like, do some research on that because there's tons of things that can stimulate that, but it's the longest nerve ending in your body that goes from your brain stem all the way down your spinal cord. And it basically exactly take can take you from sympathetic nervous system over to parasympathetic and parasympathetic is rest and digest. So that's like where you want to be majority of your day. And I would say probably 90% of us are not there like for most of the day. A hundred percent. Now, is that located at the back, like behind, like on your neck? Mm -hmm. So it connects wonder, the entire body basically. I wonder if this is also why we put cold press on our neck. Like when probably. we're not... Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah, very cool. Anyway, it's fascinating. So we got meditation, we're breathing cold air. Yeah, we got to have that movement in there. <laughs> Anybody who, I mean, I feel like everybody can agree that that movement is so important. You know, for me growing up, so I've always, I've kind of switched my relationship with, with exercise. I don't even really call it exercise tomorrow. I don't even really call it exercise anymore. I refer to it as movement because when I was younger and this aligned with um, the eating disorders that I had, I used exercise as a way of feeling in control. And I would often overuse it in my days, mm. especially when I was like a teenager and in my twenties. Um, and I've really shifted my relationship with this. So now I really check in with myself Um on a day-to-day -day basis and just say, what do I feel like doing for movement today? And this can look like walking, this can look like weights or running, or even just stretching to move my energy. Um, but I found too, like with my more recent diagnosis of ADHD a couple of years ago, that I, I need to move my body. This is, um, it's just one of the ways that my ADHD comes out is like, my body is sort of always like, it's hard to sit still. <laughs> mm. It's so interesting. You talk about uh, when you were younger and having like, you know, this, this eating disorder, because when you said that, I instantly thought of like, hmm, how did I treat exercise? And it's so interesting when I get concerned because I have a daughter, but those teenage years that so many people think exercise is to get skinny. They don't think of it in, in the relationship of no, it's to feel healthy. It's to feel, you know, like for me, and I'll talk about that in mind, but like I have brain fog, grogginess in the morning, unless I move my body first thing, like it stays all day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I remember like doing like hydroxy cut and like, yes watching the calorie counter on the treadmill and like there were times obviously well before kids in my early early 20s where I'd go to the gym till like one in the morning like the mm -hmm. gyms that were open and it it was like this insatiable stress it's just so interesting to me how obviously through social conditioning marketing whatever like even someone like myself or yourself you know created this belief I have to fit into this body type and yeah. I will go to whatever limits 
that means necessary, including, you know, exerting your body, like past the limits it really wants to be. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that piece up because I really do feel like we are shifting into a different, I mean, we are shifting into another level of consciousness. And I think that that's going to show across the board in different ways. And I think that part of this is also like women and how we view our bodies and how we treat our bodies because back in the eighties and the nineties, I mean, and I don't know if you can say this, but I'm definitely a product of all of that, of like, whether it was shown to us in the magazines, like teen bop and, and like, Mm. just here's the diet that works or, and yet we were all eating like these processed foods. And like, I really do feel like our daughters and, and many young girls in the world are going to be able to have a different experience because we know better now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, um, this next one, you're going to like this one. It's a little bit uh, different than what people might expect, but, and this is something that Tess and I have talked about here and there, and maybe something we should talk about more, but for anyone who doesn't know, and I feel like a lot of people don't know, Tess and I send each other voice notes multiple times a day. <laughs> and these are long voice notes. Like sometimes, sometimes they're like 10, 13 minutes long. Um, but they're more than just that because it, I don't even know how it got started, but we started sending these voice notes about different things we were moving through and, you know, whether it was stuff on the healing journey or relationship stuff or whatever it is these voice notes have become such a fundamental part of my healing and my integration. And, you know, not even just that, but I really do feel like it allows me to feel seen and witnessed in a really safe way. Um, yeah. And, and I wanted, so I wanted to just bring it up because it might seem like nothing, but it's actually something very big for me on my journey. And, and maybe it doesn't happen every day, but almost every day. Um, and something that I recommend, like if you're listening to this and you're like, how, how do I do this? Or maybe you do send voice notes with a friend, but it's not about your healing. Well, I encourage you to maybe talk a little bit about it, right? Like bring up some of the stuff that you're moving through, bring up some of the pieces that are, are hard for you. And see if that friend wants to open up more. I really do think we all are craving that deeper connection. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely become such a big thing on my journey. Yeah, on on the voice notes, so interesting because it's always like Tori, Tori will like be randomly talking. Yeah, but just a second, I gotta go listen to a voice note. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like, well, you can do it here. I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, I never know what to expect. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to come out of my voice notes. You should give you a warning. I'm like, little ears can't hear this one. Yeah, exactly. But it's funny because I never used to voice note before. And now it's become, I've even actually started doing it with Tori and with other people too, because it just feels so different than texting and calling. Obviously, like we're all busy, especially as parents and like working professionals. You can't necessarily, and it's so much work to be like, hey, do you have a minute? There's obviously a time and a place for that. But voice notes is so great because you get the full raw emotion of someone yeah. and then you can respond at your leisure kind of thing, right? Because sometimes yeah. it takes, sometimes I want to think about it. You know, or if I have like a kid hanging off me, it's not ideal that that's been critical in my journey as well is 
I think we called it like healing buddies or something like that, because yeah. when you don't have a soundboard and you yeah, like typically people have their partner, but I mean, I don't think everyone is that fortunate where their partner maybe is as conscious or as open as them. So maybe they can't talk about everything with them, but you know, having someone to soundboard ideas off, get someone else's thoughts, opinions, have someone like call you out on your shit. Like it's an integral part for me. I know it is for you. So it is a practice. I think it's like, who can you find that you can confide in kind of on a regular basis that kind of knows, you knows what you're going through. Like I, it's funny because yesterday Tori and I were even talking about this. I actually don't know your favorite color. I don't know what your favorite <laughs> foods are. Like those are things I know about a lot of people that I would consider good friends. You and I know each other on a very different level. Like, Oh yeah. The, I know your wounding. I know your patterns. I like, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost funny. Cause it's, it's like the opposite of most friendships where people start on the surface and then like, maybe they get deep. We're like in the gutter. We're like way down here. And now I'm like, Oh, maybe I should ask her what, what is your favorite color? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we live in the gutter, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is good that you're coming to help me paint tonight. So it'll be more yes. like fun. <laughs> right. But it is, it is truth. And, you know, just to touch on this piece too, I remember after I did the plant medicine journey back in December, the facilitator said, make sure like one of the biggest pieces we encourage you to do is talk about your experience to as many people that will listen, because when you talk about it, you integrate it. Mm. And I think that really reminds me of what we're talking about here, which is we voice note about so many different pieces that we're moving through. And in that speaking of the experience, I think it allows for further integration of that experience within us. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that's why in a lot of relationships, when someone's like upset, really your job is just to listen because people don't really need advice. They actually are voicing it because the more times they do it, because right now it's just a thought loop in their own head, right? If they can voice that out and have someone listen, that actually alone helps them relieve whatever pain or emotion that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I have said so many times when we're doing a voice note, we'll even like be talking, we'll be like, oh, I actually see this now, now that I'm saying it, you know? And so it's (laughs) funny how, yeah, when you, when you put it out there, um, you can sometimes have greater clarity with it. So those would I th- those would be the biggest must-haves um, in terms of the things that I really try to do every day, but don't always work based on schedule. Forest therapy is a big piece, and so <laughs> your days in the forest. <laughs> uh, you're like, when are you going to the forest today? Because I swear, I I must have lived in the forest in another many lives. Maybe I really do feel like I have found. I mean, it. it brings me so much self-regulation just walking in the forest and being there but it also allows me to become more present and slows me down it's just a really beautiful grounding practice that I've created um and then also pulling cards I love to do these every day if I can for guidance support clarity on anything I'm moving through the last thing I want to bring up maybe a bit more unexpected is I watch this tv show it's called this is us and I've become a really big fan of it, Um, you know, and often when I sit and watch one of the episodes, there's, well, number one, I cry every single time, Um, but I found that the characters are quite relatable, you know, they, the writers have done a really well, a really great job 
implicitly putting in pieces around trauma and healing and addiction. And so it's a really beautiful TV show. But I bring this up, not necessarily to plug the show, but rather to talk about this piece around content. Because I think that, you know, living in a world where we are so saturated with content, TV, social media, radio, podcasts, like all of that, I have become very aware of the content that I take in and whether it is quality or not, because Mm -hmm. I notice that there's a big difference in how I feel during and after taking in content that inspires me or is thought provoking or fills me up versus content that is heavy, comparative, mind numbing, and makes me feel a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I love that. I even think I listened to a podcast yesterday about people talking about those who watch this mainstream news religiously and what that actually mm. does to your nervous system, regardless of if some of those events are true or not. But literally, they're showing most of the time the most appalling, awful parts of the human experience from all over the world. And like, that's what you're absorbing. Yeah that can't be good for you. (laughs) No. And it's, it's so fear-based, right? And it reminds me, and this isn't, we don't need to get into the politics of this piece, but it just, it reminds me of when the whole stuff, like everything was going on with COVID and how saturated the news was with just fear-based information. And you know, love my mom, but she loves watching the news and she'd always come over and tell me the percentages and this and that. And I'd be like, mom, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) And not that I, it's not that I want to be, it's not that I don't want to know information, but I feel like there has to be a balance between what you are taking in Mm -hmm. because otherwise it becomes too much and, and people just can't handle it. And I think this adds to so much of the, the challenges we have with mental health nowadays. Yes, absolutely. Like I used to love reality TV. Like I loved it. And it's so funny over the last two years, I can barely watch it because all of a sudden I feel it in my body. Like I feel myself starting to get like anxiety or comparison. And then I realize, okay, number one, these shows are very far from reality. They're very much scripted to have like the most drama, the most, you know, star rave reviews, whatever it may be. And then here I am thinking, oh, this is how their real lives are playing out, right? And so I think that's really important almost you know, what what you're consuming in any matter through your eyes, into your mouth, whatever it may be, affects you. And so really tune into how is this making me feel? If it's not making you feel good, probably time to switch it up. So it sounds like you've found a good show that makes you feel good. It's not yeah. like we're saying, don't ever watch TV and don't ever scroll on your phone. And no. the same would go with like your social media. Your feed is curated to you. Right. And if there's certain people or certain things you're seeing that, you know, don't make you feel good, give you anxiety, dysregulate your nervous system, probably unfollow. Yeah. yeah it's really interesting how all of this works and just, yeah, be, becoming aware of how certain things make you feel. Mm-hmm. But that is, in a nutshell, you know, some of the must haves and the things that, you know, the things that I definitely do every day. And then the things that I really try to do every day. Um, and then at the end, after we kind of go through yours, 
I think it will be important for us to talk a little bit around somatic parts work, which is something I've really started to do. And then for you really digging into the breath work piece, which I think will be yes. really helpful for people to hear, but let's hear a little bit in terms of a day in the life of Tess. What are the things that, you know, really get you going? Well, you know, I have my children full time, so <laughs> most days are not an average day. There's always something happening. And right now we're in the process of moving and doing a kitchen renovation. So, I mean, I feel like I'm being a bit of a hypocrite saying my list because the last week has definitely been off track. But I think it's important to share that because no one is perfect. No one always keeps to their list. Even the must-haves, I'm sure for you, sometimes fall off track, even though, you know, you probably make a more concerted effort to do them. So yeah. for anyone listening, if you're like, oh, I, I was working out every day and then I stopped. Like, you also have to just listen to your body. And sometimes you have to be malleable and flexible to the circumstance. And sometimes, yeah, things get pushed to the side. And as long as it's for a temporary space and time then that's fine you just get back on and don't shame yourself in the process because i feel like i used to do that and then it would just take me longer to get back into the habit yeah <laughs> right? yeah and but i think it's so valuable to bring up that piece of honoring where yeah. you're at in each moment in each day in whatever season you're in because right now you guys are in a bit of a a, a hectic season with your house reno and stuff and you know to hear that you are you know, you want to be doing these practices, but right now you're just trying to honor this part of the journey. I think that that is so huge. That is a practice in itself is honoring right. yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I would say, you know, in this last year, I used to one, one major piece for me was I would always get woken up like with the kids, like the moment they would wake up, that was like my alarm clock. I don't feel like I had set an alarm clock in the past six years almost, unless I really needed to get up for something because my kids are early risers. Six, six thirty is always when they've woken up since they were babies. And in the last year and a half, what I started realizing was that that would not set my day up very well. Like I didn't have a moment to myself to kind of ground into my day maybe meditate, maybe get a workout in before they were on top of me. And anyone with young kids knows what it's like. I'm hungry. I need this. I need that. And then I would kind of run out the door in a fury. And I didn't like that. So I had to kind of start looking, okay, like what can I change here? Like, how can I set my day up? But I think your morning rituals and practices are just so integral, especially like during the week, like on a work day. Um, and so what I started doing is actually getting up before the kids, even like half an hour, an hour is ideal for me. Um, so like getting up at 530. I know it seems early for people listening. Uh, I will say that I, even this last year, my kids have just gotten that little bit older where I find now I actually can get a workout in when they're awake. Uh, but I still like a little bit of time to myself. So that's an integral part of my day is getting to bed early the night before so that I can actually get up. One thing uh, that's really helped me in the last bit, Mel Robbins says this, you know, like when your alarm clock goes off and you're just like, oh my gosh, no way, I'm not getting up, is called five, four, three, two, one. Just just start counting down. And even if you have to like roll your body out of bed and hit the floor to get up, like do it because you will. Uh, I also like to think of it, if I was meeting my friend at the gym or had like a, you know, little date day with, with a girlfriend, 
I wouldn't just not show up to them. So why would I do that to myself? So sometimes when those doubts start popping up in the morning, when the alarm clock goes, I got to meet myself. I got to meet myself. I, I committed to getting up at this time to meditate or to work out. And I wouldn't stand Christina up. I wouldn't stand mm-hmm. so-and-so up. So I need to get up, right? Because the relationship with yourself, I think, is just as important, if not more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's an integral part of a practice for me that I do is getting up before the kids and then I either do like a 15 minute meditation uh, and I try and always get a workout in uh, in the morning to move my body and again that's because when I wake up when I say like there's full brain fog like grogginess it is the thing like physical movement of my body that eradicates it instantly mm-hmm. but it's really hard for me to get motivated to get on the mat so yeah. And what would that have looked like for you prior to, like before you realized that this was so kind of life-changing for you to get up before them? Would you have just kind of rolled out of bed and got the kids ready while you were trying to get ready? Yeah, exactly. And I and I would have done it, but I would have been like really groggy, probably pretty grumpy. Like I think it sets me up to be a better mom, a better human being if I can get that physical mm-hmm. movement in in the morning. I used to do it at lunch or after work, but it just – it didn't feel the same because as anyone in you know the health and wellness space would know like when you move your body everything after that repercussions of that workout like in a positive way right like yeah. your metabolism's fired you've got some stretch into your muscles so doing it in midday or, or you know after is not as beneficial as when you first get up in the morning it sets you up for your whole day mm-hmm. so for me um i've just found it just makes a world of difference yeah you're mm-hmm. motivating me to want to start to do that Yeah, it's really hard though. And I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying. Yeah. But I think it's so key what you said about going to bed at a proper time. I'm the worst for that. I'm such a night owl. You are. (laughs) And it makes sense when you're always like, hey girl, I'm headed to bed. You should too. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And I find too, even if that's a good one, sleep is really important for me. I feel like my husband would say, oh my gosh, like I can tell when you haven't gotten to bed. Because one, I think everyone has a sleep window as well. So if you're like, well, yeah, I can stay up till midnight because I can sleep till seven. Like you think, oh, it's seven hours sleep. It's not the same because you've pushed, it's just like kids, right? If you've pushed them past their kind of tired window, now one, you're going to have a hard time falling asleep. And two, you're you're exhausted by the time you go to bed. And so that seven hours is very different than if you would have went to bed at 10 and gotten up at five. Mm. And I haven't done enough research on that, but I I just know from myself, it's true. I've heard it on different podcasts, but I, I guarantee you there's a science behind that. And I see it even when we've tried to like sleep train our kids. If I don't get my kids to bed till everyone will be like, oh, it's the weekend, they can stay up late. Yeah, so when they when they go to bed at nine, even if they're waking up at 6.30, like they always do, it's a very different thing like and even yes. if they do sleep in they are different beasts in the morning like if, yes. if they go to bed you know at eight um it's a world of difference so i know it's the same for adults yeah a hundred percent i couldn't agree with you more so yeah yeah so that's that's one of them uh and then i i i love to do like obviously a shower but i turn like the last half of it to cold and i will say we're gonna talk in a minute about breath work but if you're like there's just no way. There's no way I'm putting my body into cold water. If you, So when you breathe, especially in like a very deep way, a bit 
a bit of a faster pace as well. Like if anyone looks up Wim Hof, there's a science behind the fact that your body, it actually doesn't feel as painful as if you just like literally walked into a cold shower. So if you're kind of like, oh, I want to try that. I hear everyone doing it. Try some deep breathing. Look up Wim, Wim Hof breathing exercises, even box breathing. Basically, when you do that and you're oxygenating your blood, it feels different when you walk into the cold shower. Is it like hitting a soft pillow? No, no, it's definitely not. Um, but you'll find like you can stay in it a little bit longer. And after the cold showers, as you know, as well, you've done cold plunging and cold showers. It basically stimulates your nervous system in a positive way. Um, there's just, there's so many scientific benefits. We don't have time to get into them all, but it, I literally can notice days I do it and days I don't do it. It's the best. And, and that feeling that you get afterwards, oh, it's just... It makes it worth it. Yes. Yeah. And something to say too about the cold showers piece or cold cold therapy, um, you know, if you are on your healing journey and you're actually trying to actively work through any type of trauma, cold therapy is a really great way to create safety in your body to start to work through some of this trauma. This was something that I learned about because you are in a sense exposing your body, your nervous system to this quote unquote threat mm. and you're doing it in a safe way. And so you're completing the cycle because it's almost like a, like a traumatizing feeling of like how cold it is. But then because you're able to stay in it and complete the cycle and create safety through that, it it is healing in its yeah. own way. Yeah, and for anyone who like kind of jumps into a cold child and like, ah, and then they just get out really try and stay in it try and like breathe through it try and find like peace while you're there because if you can do that that i think completes the cycle like you're talking about yeah. meaning Ooh, you feel this trigger Ooh, you feel this like really cold water and if you can show your body like no look i'm safe i can breathe through this i can stay in this you almost go into this like trance like state especially if yeah. you're doing like a cold plunge compared to a cold shower that's yes. something i'd love to get for for our new place is one of those cold plunge buckets you know if you can do that or if you live by a lake or the ocean do that too it's even better yeah yes and then like two more pieces i want to talk about one for me nutrition is just so key eating three meals a day listening to my body when it's hungry mm. i in the mornings i it's a lot of work to make a smoothie like putting a piece of toast in the toaster feels easier but it's also just like filler food for me you know for a long time because i had crohn's disease what i put in my body i directly feel obviously but i feel like it's so important for anyone like really look at the food you're eating if it's white <laughs> It probably doesn't have very much nutrition. So many things are just fillers that fill you, but they actually provide zero vitamins, zero minerals, zero nutrition for your body. And like literally what you put in is how you're going to feel. If you're eating processed foods, if you're eating fast food. And so for me, like maybe this isn't a daily practice, but it's sort of part of my week every Sunday because my husband and I are so busy, I spend half the day on Sunday meal prepping. So I make all of our meals, you know, whether it's, you know, at home Chipotle bowls or stir fry with like tons of vegetables. And I prep us each a lunch. I make us little overnight oats, all of those things. But then I also write out what are, what are we eating for dinner? Because as a busy mom who's running to and from sports and whatnot, if I don't have it dialed in, I don't have stuff prepped and ready to go, 
we will go out for food. And so mm. for me, kind of setting my week up intentionally like that is is really key for me. Or else I will fall off track and I will feel like crap by like Friday, Saturday. It's not like we never go out to eat. But even when honestly, when we do that, my husband knows now like, yeah, there's like basically two places I'm gonna be eating, like freshy, Chipotle possibly. That's pretty much it. Going to fast food makes me feel like crap. It's not like we never do it, but I just think it's really important to be monitoring, like, what are you putting in your body? You know, and even for me, like smoothies with different um, supplement powders, glutamine for my gut, uh, like a vegan protein powder, um, you know, different like spinach, putting different things in celery, ginger, uh, all of that sort of sets up my day uh, for, I think, like the best possible way is physically that I can feel in my body. Yeah. And, and for anybody who's listening, Tess is a master cook. Like she, you, you are, you've got all these recipes that you make. And I'm always like, wow, that would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) You, you can pull out a couple yourself. I know, I know. But for anyone who's listening, that's also my ADHD. I'm not good at multitasking. Tess actually came over one night and I was making her dinner and she could tell I was like talking to her about something. And she could, she was like, she moved closer into the kitchen so that it would make me direct my attention back onto the food. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I I was washing the dishes last night and trying to tell me a story and the same thing. He kept stopping doing the dishes and I was like, you actually can't talk to me while you do this, can you? (laughs) Wow, I got to leave the room because like your inability to multitask is aggravating me. (laughs) Yes. I feel bad for you guys. Yeah, well, that but then the the positive of that is that when we find something we really really love you can't take us away from it that's and true we are we are in our genius you know that's right so ask anybody when I'm trying to do Lego with the kids on Sunday and they're like okay mom let's switch the activity I'm like what we're gonna just stop making this big oh, I've seen it I've seen it happen <laughs> before and then lastly just one thing I want to say for me I practice continuously learning for me podcasts I mean yes we have one here you're listening to it now but honestly, before we even started this, I got on the podcast train like two years ago. One, I am a multitasker and I'm super busy. So if I can be doing a mundane task and somehow make it enjoyable, that's kind of a practice I've began incorporating into my life. So learning while I'm doing something like the dishes or driving or like literally right now I'm painting, listening so like my brain can stay active and I'm, and I'm just absorbing more information. It just helps me connect dots. It helps me grow as a person, learn, evolve. And I don't know why, but that just does it for me. It fills my cup. And there have been weeks where I'm like, oh my God, I haven't listened to anything. I haven't learned anything. I haven't read anything. And I can feel it. Like I, there's an urge there to want to continuously learn. And for me, podcasts, I just, you know, I've gone 30 years with never even really ever listening to them. And now I'm like, I'm hooked. I love it. I listen to so many different ones, so many different speakers, lots of different topics. But there's just so many good nuggets of information out there. And I love sharing them with people, friends, as well as on social. So I just think that's that's also another big practice for me is just continuously learning um, through podcasts and, and other platforms. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up that piece because if anyone's listening and you're like, well, where do I start with podcasts or how do I find more? If you guys go back to the, the part one of the tools, um, you will be able to see that we listed a bunch of different podcasts that we love listening to. Uh, and that kind of updates as it goes, but those are more of the, the ones that we still love and have become fundamental ones on our journey. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Amazing. And, you know, just listening to you talk there, 
I do really think that we both, there is, there is this undercurrent of paying attention to just what feels good, what feels right to us, whether it's the food you're putting in your body, whether it's the podcast you're listening to, for me, what type of movement feels good, the content we're taking in. You know, I think that that is such an important piece is moving away from the shoulds and paying more attention to what actually feels in alignment for you and doing that. Mm -hmm. That is such an important piece. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so many years I went like so disconnected from my body. It was whatever I needed to do for my job, house to stay clean. I was, whoa, whoa. Like if you think of your body like a machine, your machine can only operate as optimally as what you're putting into it, right? So exactly what you're consuming on the internet, what you're consuming in terms of your nutrition, what you're doing to maintain the machine, your physical fitness, your body. It's just, it's all so integral. I know we all know that, but really look at your life and say like, am I practicing this, right? Like in terms of even your mindfulness, being still. Being still is a practice that so many people don't do. I had never done it until two years ago. And wow, was I like so tapped out of what was going on inside me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we also wanted to include a couple pieces here in terms of two very big practices that Tess and I have brought into our lives, but also they created such a positive impact that we then learned how to do this for others. And so these two pieces are for me, somatic parts work. And for Tess, it's been breath work. And so we're going to explain just a little bit about these. We won't go into, you know, these big long descriptions, but just to give you, just to give you an idea of what this looks like. And if you have questions, definitely reach reach out to one of us and we can fill you in more um, and, and look at getting you some extra support with it if that's what you're wanting. So for me, the big piece that I have really incorporated into my life and now I'm helping clients with has been somatic parts work. And I've talked about this here and there in the podcast, but really, you know, this is about building an awareness of these different parts that are showing up within you and learning how to bring cohesion and wholeness in order to create more healing within yourself. So when we go through life and we have these different experiences, you can label them trauma, challenges, painful experiences, whatever it is, there are parts of us that become fragmented. And the way I like to explain this is like, think about you as a whole pie. And as you go through life, you know, little pieces of the pie get cut and fragmented and disconnected. And what we do with somatic parts work is we go within the system and we bring wholeness to that pie again. We start to recognize and bring awareness to the different parts, what they're trying to communicate, what they're needing, allow them to feel safe, allow them to feel witnessed and really bring a lot more compassion into the picture. And through that, we are able to create more cohesion and wholeness within your system, you know? Um, And without getting into too much detail, some of the different parts that show up within you are going to be parts that have been exiled for a long time. So these are usually more fragile, vulnerable, younger parts, parts within you that are protecting those exiled parts. So these are gonna be you know, your protective mechanisms that you have each day, whether you are a people pleaser, 
And then you also have a part of you that doesn't change at all. And this would be considered the self. And tapping, learning how to tap into that part is really integral because the self is always there. It never leaves. Some people might refer to this as the soul or the higher self, but that, that part also is the really important part of the process to help bring cohesion and wholeness. And so, you know, for me, I really learned about parts work last year. It was something that I started doing with my somatic therapist and she really taught me and showed me how to bring awareness to all these different parts and the most important piece was learning how to have self-compassion for them because what we sometimes think is resistance within us um when we can bring compassion to that resistance which are these different parts saying this doesn't feel safe or are in opposition of whatever it is you're trying to do when we can bring compassion and curiosity and connection to these parts this is where your life really starts to change. You know, it's it's about negotiation within yourself, not perfection. And that mm. has been a really big piece for me as a recovering control freak. <laughs> <laughs> you say it so eloquently. Yes. <laughs> I love the analogy of the pie. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really good way for um, anyone who's like, what the heck is that? And somatic therapy or somatic work, if you're not sure what that is, like, again, it's really like what's going on inside your body. So you can know all the mindfulness practices in the world, you can become aware of your thoughts. But if you can't integrate that into your body, you're you've kind of only done one part of the work, if that makes sense. And it's a bit more, I would say, of something people stumble upon when they're a bit more advanced into their journey. It's not to mean that you can't do it right from the get-go, uh, but it wasn't a place where I started or you started. Um, yeah. So just if anyone's like, I never heard of this, what is it? I don't even know, like begin looking at it, get curious. Um, there's so many people that are doing somatic therapy or somatic integration pieces within therapeutic settings now, because there's just so much science behind how the body holds that implicit memory. And, you know, we did some of this in our conversations with her workshop as well. And I just think, Christina, it sounds like, you know, we're bringing this up right now because this for you and even now for me is sort of part of your daily practice. So when you talked about meditating and now you're mindful and aware of your thoughts or you know like you do all these things so that you can stay in a regulated state but when you become dysregulated during the day or when you have racing thoughts about something somatic practices can become this integral piece sort of sprinkled throughout your day like so you're tapping into the body okay what piece of me right now is being triggered or alarmed how can i bring that down how can i provide you know that grace that that you talked about um so it is it is a tool and a practice that i know that you use on a daily basis as well as myself yeah yeah and and really it is just about that it's that the awareness i think that you can cultivate through meditation or having some sort of self-awareness practice and then with that awareness you're then able to kind of tap into your body and tap into you know whatever it is you're being triggered through or challenged with or inner conflict and start to pay attention to what are the different parts that are present? What are they all trying to communicate? And how do we bring negotiation to that, to bring that pie closer together, you know? Yeah, and you just, again, not to go on a tangent about this, but <laughs> so many people are just operating from the plane of, this is just who I am, this is how it is, these are how my thoughts are, this is my reaction if people are this way or that way. 
the whole point of healing is not to become a victim, not to become aware of your things because like, oh my gosh, look how awful or hard my life was. It's so that you can now take responsibility. It doesn't mean that your traumas, those little parts that got cut up are your fault. What it means is, oh, wow, I'm aware. And this impacts how I show up in the world now. And now through somatic work and mindfulness, I have I have to get this in, not in control, but I am in control of it. Like I have the power to integrate yeah. it, to expand, to grow, to not show up in specific ways that maybe are toxic to myself or to the people around me. And so, you know, when Christina talks about like, well, like, why would you, why would you need to do anything once you're aware of it? Probably because you'll notice that, oh, wow, like I'm maybe the one stepping out of line sometimes, or I'm the one reacting in a triggered way. A lot of the time, you know, until people do some of this work, they think it's just the world around them. They're fine. And it's everything else happening to them. When you begin this journey, you'll realize that is not the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's not you. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hardest lesson for sure. Humble pie. (laughs) Yeah. And and maybe we kind of did that in reverse. So when we talk about breath work, which is now something that I'm certified in, if you're like, okay, well, all this sounds great. Tapping into the body and this parts work. How do I find out those parts of me? How do I become aware of even my body throughout the day? Breath work is basically active meditation and there's so much science behind it. But basically when you can put your brain wave state into theta, which is a meditative state. So people do this through hypnosis, EMDR. Some people can do it literally like while running. There's so many different physical practices that can get you there. Yeah, Christina's a runner. For me, breathwork was the practice that 100% of the time gets me there. So breathwork is using a specific breathing pattern, which obviously is changing the levels of O2 and CO2 within your bloodstream. And again, it sort of allows your ego or your prefrontal cortex to just quiet down. So if you're like, yeah, I'd love to meditate, but I I just can never get into it. Breathwork might actually be the thing that you really do need to try. So for people that have active minds, ADHD, it is basically just active meditation um, and all you have to do is breathe. So there's so many guided ones out there. I'd encourage you um, if you haven't already, I think this was in our tools episode as well. Like Insight Timer has tons of different guided breathwork meditations, like five minutes, 10 minutes. And just like meditation, you'll build up your practice. Uh, but really like anytime I'm feeling anxious or like don't know what to do about something or my thoughts are racing, I lay down on the floor and I, I do a breathwork. Whether that's 10 minutes, I typically like doing 45 minutes to an hour. I I always find like some sort of emotional release. It doesn't mean I'm crying on the floor all the time, but maybe like I'm angry or maybe I get some big aha moment. It basically, I like to say, it's like the doorway into your subconscious mind. Uh, And so for anyone that knows a bit about neuroscience, you have, you know, your conscious mind, which is literally what I'm accessing right now. It's where all my logical thinking, decision-making comes from. But 95% of your day your behaviors, your patterns, your beliefs come from your subconscious mind, which is not something that you can access in an active brain state. So you have to do something that gets you into that theta brave way. And so breath work is one of them. Uh, And if you're unaware of what's going on in your subconscious mind, that's probably a red flag. You probably need to get a bit curious. And there's tons of practices like we talked about that that can help you get there. And breath work, yeah, it's just been instrumental in my journey. And Um, I like to say it's like going to 10 therapy sessions in an hour. Mm. Uh, And, you know, I feel like I heard that too, even at our workshop for some of the people who never tried it, you know, and a lot of them are like, this isn't going to work for me. And within five minutes, they're crying. So, 
you know, it, it just allows emotions, thoughts, feelings that you've probably repressed and don't even really know are there to come up to the surface. And the whole point again is awareness isn't to become a victim to like what's going on or what happened to you. It's that you can complete that cycle so that you can grieve that you can become aware and then you can integrate these somatic pieces to make the changes that you feel are necessary. So yeah, so those are kind of practices as well that we both sprinkle throughout our day. And and now luckily, like we've got the training so that we can equip other people with those tools and practices. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I'm so glad you brought up the workshop because you could really see the effects on the women, the positive impact that the breathwork facilitation specifically had, especially Mm -hmm. it being something they had never experienced before. It, It just like, you know, it really has this power to open us up and and cycle this stuff through and allow us to release it. Yeah, and if anything, if you're like, well, I don't even know like somatic work yet, or I don't even know what I would do with it. Honestly, like the first, I would say phase of healing is just becoming aware and allowing the release of whatever you've repressed. That alone, it literally feels like a weight loss journey or something. Like you will feel this weight lifted off of you. Even if you become aware of a whole bunch of like things and you don't do anything about them, just getting them out, bringing them consciously to life, so to speak, alone creates so much relief for, for a person. Yeah, and if you have any questions, again, reach out to Tesserai. You can reach both of us on both TikTok or Instagram at, you can reach Tess at her unearthed and you can reach myself, Christina at Christina.soulempowered. Send us a message. Let us know what you think of the podcast. And if you are listening and you do feel like this was a really impactful one for you, please share because the more that you can get this out to other people, this is why we do this. It's to share, it's to help, it's to connect us. Um, and just so you you know you're not alone on this journey. Yes. Yes. So have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.